Praise God. I love that word magnify, you know. The scriptures tell, talk about how we're to magnify the Lord. You know, and when you magnify something, everybody ever have a, use a magnifying glass? Come on, most of us, right? So at least when you were kids, you had a magnifying glass, right? Hopefully you didn't do bad things, insects with it, you know. But it's interesting because you need the light of the sun to magnify something, amen? And when you have the light of Christ and you look through his light and you see reality, uh, God becomes way bigger. And it's not that he becomes bigger. Our small view of him grows and we get closer to the reality of who he is. Amen? And, and uh, John had mentioned uh, the unspeakable or un indescribable gift. And actually, scholars disagree as to what or who that refers to. The context could refer actually to a financial gift. could refer to, as John mentioned, good things that we share. Uh, it's left a little bit open. Uh, definitely refers to uh, giving to one another. But the ultimate thing that we can give to somebody is who? Jesus. Amen? So to me, he's, he, to me, he's the ultimate and indescribable gift. And I'm so excited because on Christmas morning, we get to focus on him. And we do that every church service to one degree or another. But I want you to leave here full and excited and encouraged in the Lord. Uh, I want you to begin with me by going to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And when we read in Philippians chapter 2, it's, it's a very beautiful Christmas passage, actually, although many would not maybe think of it about it until they really thought it through. But we're talking about a really heavy passage. And we're also going to visit the nativity. We're going to visit uh, some scriptures on Jesus' birth. But this references him becoming a man. And in theology, we use a beautiful theological term as Christians, uh, which is the word the incarnation. And the incarnation speaks of God becoming a man. And Literally, millions of people think that Jesus was just born into the world and he was just a man, you know? And they think it begins there, the story begins there in Bethlehem, where the story actually, you know, goes very far back. Why? Because Jesus is who? Jesus is the Word, and the Word is who? The Word is God, amen? And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says he instructs the church at Philippi, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now keep in mind, in the setup to this, he's encouraging the church of Philippi to be selfless, to not just consider their own interest, which is what human beings that don't know Jesus basically live for themselves. But he says, don't just look out for your own interest, but for the interest of others. We're not supposed to be about me, myself, and I, and it's all about me and what I want and get. That's not Christianity. True Christianity, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to what? Deny yourselves, right? Take up your crosses daily and follow me. Amen? And here he instructs them, and he says, have this attitude in yourselves, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's going to show us the attitude that Jesus has, and we're supposed to have that same attitude. And in doing so, he lets us know that God became a man. He humbled himself. Verse 6, who, speaking of Jesus, although he existed in the form of God. So he existed in what form? The form of God. Has anybody ever else existed in the form of God? I mean, this is a great passage to show Jehovah's Witnesses because the Jehovah's Witnesses based their, their whole cult on Isaiah 43.10, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. 
But that text goes on to say, before me there were no gods formed, neither shall there be after me. Right? So the one true God, of who we're all to be his witnesses, says there's no God formed before me or after me. In other words, there's only one God in the form of God. Amen? Amen. And guess who you're reading about? Jesus. He's him. Amen? Amen. And Jehovah's Witnesses deny that he's God. Yet uh, he existed. The NIV, I like the translation there, talks about, you know, uh, being in the very nature of God. Same meaning. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be held onto or grasped. He could have just remained worshipped as God in heaven by the angels for all eternity. Right? He didn't have to, he could have, he didn't have to, he could have just held on to that, that lofty uh, position of being worshipped and so forth. But we read in verse 6, who although he exists in the, uh, the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. But he what? He emptied himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a what? He took the form of what? A bond servant. Think of this. this there's no Christmas if God does not decide to empty himself and become a bond servant. And be made in the likeness of who? Of men. God is not a man. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Yet God becomes a man. Now he empties himself. He doesn't empty himself of deity. He is always God. Jesus, we read in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. He never ceased to be God. He said to the Jews who wanted to stone him, before Abraham was, I what? I am. Amen? Amen? And then when they said, are you the Christ, right? When they wanted to arrest him, he said, I am. And what did, they, what did the soldiers do when he said that? They just fell down. He was basically sh- revealing his deity, but holding it under veil to a degree still. Because to be in God's very presence, if Jesus, if his deity was not veiled in the flesh, the Bible says that nobody can stand in the presence of God and live. Amen. That he alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. Amen. We got an awesome God, you guys. We got an awesome God. And you can't even abide in his presence. It says, who can uh, live in everlasting burnings? Because God is a consuming fire. He's just pure light, pure love, pure power, pure righteousness, holy, holy, holy. Amen? Amen. And you can't live in his presence if it was just you and your naked deformity in the presence of the thrice holy God. Yet he became flesh, not just to relate to us, but to die for us. Verse 7, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of what? Death. And then he says this, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. So he didn't just become a servant he became a bondservant. He didn't just become, and he became a man. And he didn't just die, which is horrific, but he died a criminal's death in our place because that's what we deserved, amen? amen? And we could just meditate upon this for a little bit and leave here filled when you think this through. And I've tried to let people know through the years that this is a huge step down from God to human And I try to let you know it's like becoming a worm for us or a cockroach. 
to save the worms or to save the cockroaches. Have anybody ever used raid here to get rid of the ants? Can you imagine becoming an ant because you care for them? Just to lead them away so you don't have to hit them with the raid? But here's, oh yeah, I could, I, actually if I could do that, Joe, I probably would. No, but now you have to remain an ant. You have to be Ant-Man, but you know, in a, not a you know, Marvel sense, but you'd have to be like I'm a real Ant-Man. Man and ant. Because you love the ant so much. I'd consider you a pretty loving person if you did that. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a bigger, that's a lower drop than what God did. Because you becoming an ant is creature to creature. Amen? Amen. God becoming a man is uncreated creator to what? Creature. Are you with me? So you have to get your brain around the incarnation and just appreciate the fact, even before he died on the cross for us, a criminal's death, just him becoming a man is huge. Because he didn't just become a man for a while. He rose again on the third day. And he's still the God-man. Amen? Amen? He still bears the wounds. Thomas, you don't believe? Here, stick your fingers into my wounds. And see that as I. When we read Revelation 5, when you look at Jesus in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, guess what you see? You read that when John's like, who is able to, to prevail and you know, who's overcome to take the scroll? He's trying to figure out who it was. And then he sees Jesus, one standing forth, it says, as a lamb that has been slain. So Jesus in heaven, right during the book of Revelation, when the end times unfold, he begins to pop the seals, right? That open up the judgments. John sees him do that in a futuristic vision. And he sees him as a lamb that has been slain. Yet he also calls him in those same verses the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? He's the lion and he is the lamb. Amen? Amen. Just absolutely remarkable who we have as our Messiah, our Savior. Now, I had a gal some time ago, four or five years ago, uh, come up after a service one time. And I was getting all excited, you know, about Jesus and what he did for us and his death on our behalf. And... And she shared something with me that really made me think. And I needed an answer right there, and I believe the Lord gave it to me. And she was, I have a hard time, and she wasn't saying it in a negative way as far as, you know, coming down on me, but she was saying, I have a hard time getting really excited about God dying for me on the cross. Because if he's a loving, if God is a loving God, isn't that what he should do? Find himself in that situation, since he is love, isn't that how love would act? And how, why should that surprise me? Why should that, you know, and I, I'm paraphrasing her, but she, made an, she was making a salient point, but missing a big part of the puzzle. She's saying if God is a God of love, right, and I'm his daughter, and he, he, I find myself in this predicament. He finds himself in this predicament, basically. Isn't that what he would do? And, well, you know, what do I say at that point? Because I do understand that God is love. And we talk about God is good. What? All the time. All the time God is what? Good. Because that's his nature. Amen. And yeah, it is his nature. He is good, right? And good works no ill 
toward his neighbor, right? And to do what's right, and not to do what's right, and to know what to do what's right, and James' sin, and so forth. And, but we, there's a categorical error, there's a category error, where we're sometimes confusing justice sometimes with mercy and grace, amen? God has to do justice because he's righteous, amen? But God doesn't always have to show grace and mercy, right? Because mercy by its very nature is withholding what we deserve, amen? And he doesn't have to hold what we deserve because he can be perfectly just in giving us what we deserve. But I didn't answer her like that. That would be my typical answer. But I stepped back. I said, you're missing something. I said, God did not find himself in a predicament. He didn't just wake up one day. God never wakes. He's always awake. But God didn't just like, oh, wow, look at the situation I'm in. What am I going to do to save my people? I guess I'll become a man and die. I go, you have to step back. Because when did God know that we would rebel against him? At creation or before creation? Before creation, amen. So God knew that we would fall, amen. He knew that we'd rebel against him, amen. He could have at that very moment said, hey, the world that I'm going to create, if I create this world, they're going to fall. Because humans cannot handle power. I'll give them some, I'll I'll create them in my image, and they'll have some power, but they'll abuse it. And they'll use it to become their own gods. And that's what happened. And then I'll have to punish them. Or I'll have to step in and accept their punishment to save them. So why go through the trouble? Amen? Amen. I got to fellowship with Bernal and some of the guys the other day, and one of the things Bernal and I were talking about, and Bernal was just shaking his head, that, man, where does his love come from? It's just, you know, it's a mind-boggling question. We're having a really deep conversation. And it's just mind-boggling. But guess what? God didn't have to create us in the first place, amen? amen? He didn't find himself in a predicament. Oh, no, what do I do? Since I'm love, i got to do this. No, he could have just said, I'm not creating this mess, amen? amen? But knowing fully what we would do, he created us in his image, knowing that he was going to become a man and die in our place. The Father, knowing that he'd send his only begotten Son, his son agreeing with the father that I will go and pay for their sins. Amen. That's a blow mind. And when I explained it to her that way, it clicked. And she, I never thought of it that way. You're right. He didn't have to create us in the first place. Amen. Amen. amen and amen. You know, it hit me like a ton of bricks because it says humble yourself in, throughout Scripture. Amen. Humble yourself and he'll raise you up in due time. And God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud and so forth. And it's interesting Because here we're told to humble ourselves and be like Jesus. Have the same attitude that Jesus has. Don't just focus on yourself, but look at the interests of others. Amen? And then in doing so, he explains to us what Jesus did for us in becoming a man. And it's just a blow mind when you read about it and you think think it through. But it hit me like a ton of bricks I was driving the other day. I was meditating on this passage as I was driving, thinking about it. And I thought, wow, the crazy thing about this, though, too is when God humbles himself in this context, right? He becomes something he's not. He's entitled to just continue as King of kings and Lord of lords, as holy, 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 forever. But he steps out of his lofty position of being worshipped by the angels, and he's born in a filthy manger in Bethlehem. And in doing so, he becomes... His, one of his creatures, amen, 
to save us. He humbles himself by not holding on to all the prerogatives he had. He could exercise whatever he wanted still, I believe. It was all in his power. He never ceased to be God. But he suspended the use of so many of his attributes and suffered and went through things that we deserve to go through. This is a crazy thing, though. When he humbles himself, this is what hit me. I was like, wow, Lord, that is so amazing. You're so amazing that you're this awesome God and you step out of what you are ontologically, high above all things, transcendent, and become a man. When we are called to humble ourselves, it's totally different. Why? Because we're not becoming less than we were created to be. Although he's the uncreated being, amen. When we're called to humble ourselves, we're called to stop pretending we're something we're not. That's what hit me. We're called to stop pretending that we are God. Stop pretending that we can live independent of God and be our own deal and that that's right or that's good or that's okay. No, we're called to stop pretending, stop being narcissists and simply assume the role we were created to have and be thankful for it that we've been created in the image of God and we can be children born again, amen, and servants of the Most High God, amen? amen. And that just hit me so hard. How much more should we humble ourselves, amen, if God did it voluntarily by assuming something he was not? How much more should we do it voluntarily by stopping to pretend we're something that we're not? and simply being the human beings that God created us to be. And humility is basically facing reality. You're God, I'm not. I'm created to serve and know you. Thank you for the privilege. And by the way, that's where the real blessings come. Amen? So this text is just so rich to me. And just the emphasis, even not just death, but even the death on the cross, even the term servant. The term servant there is very, very interesting. There's a lot of different Greek terms for servant. There's over half a dozen Greek terms that could have been used for servant here, okay? Uh, the word dakonos is a Greek word used throughout the New Testament for servants. We see that throughout. In fact, what word do we get from dakonos? Deacon. Amen. Deacons. They're servants of the Lord. Amen. And sometimes dakonos can be used of a servant in the sense of a deacon or just a servant in general, one who just serves Christ. It's a beautiful word. Okay, uh, then there is uh, another interesting Greek word, and it's uh, mystios. And mystios is another word for servant, and it was used at times for hired soldiers, for mercenaries, and so forth. Uh, there's also the Greek word uh, therapone. And a therapone was a higher level servant. It's used of, of Moses in the book Hebrews. He was servant is in his house. There's the uh, oikates, and oikates is the word servant used in the New Testament. And oikates is a servant who was a household servant, a domestic servant. Then there was a pais, P-A-I-S, and, you know, A-I would be an I sound in Greek uh, in our transliteration, pais. Pais was like an errand boy, a boy that would go and run errands and, and, and so forth. Uh, then there was a hupe, uh, Huperetes. Huperetes was an uh, uh, under-rower that would row, would, would pull the oar in the lower deck of a huge ship. 
So it's another word that's actually used. Paul describes himself as an under rower. These are all interesting Greek words for servants. And what's interesting is the Greek words that are translated servant throughout the New Testament, oftentimes these were not the lowest forms of servants typically. Okay? They were, a lot of these words are used to people that were part-time servants, uh, servants of different orders or different levels. Uh, some could even be paid, you know, uh, part-time or paid a little bit. None of these words, zero, zilch, these are not the words used of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. The Greek word used for Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, that he became a slave, that would be the best way to translate it, or bond servant. Bond servant is doulos. If you're writing an English transliteration, you just write D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos. So it doesn't just use a lot of common words for servant. It uses the lowest of the low. He became the lowest of slaves, Jesus did, to save us. Amen? Amen. He humbled himself, guys, and became the lowest of the slaves. And a doulos had no rights of his own. He was owned by his master, typically bought with a price, owned, zero rights. And Jesus came as the ultimate doulos. In fact, throughout the scripture in Isaiah, he's called the suffering servant. Amen? He came to suffer as a servant. Yet we're called to have this same mind that he had. Peter said, even though you're free to be doulos, to be servants. In fact, that word doulos is used over a hundred times in the New Testament of Christians and what we're called to be. Because we've been bought with a what? We've been bought with a price. Amen? We've created to know and serve God. Now, now, servant is not the only metaphor, bond servant or slave that's used of Christians. We're also the bride of Christ, amen? We're also children of God. There's all these beautiful metaphors used. But to me, it's one of my favorite metaphors because it keeps me in line recognizing who I am when I wake up in the morning. I belong to you. I serve you. I follow in the, in the steps of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's the ultimate servant, amen? And he's God. He didn't have to become a servant. But in his great love, he showed me what it means to, to love you and, and live for you and be who I've been created to be. As Bob Dylan used to sing, maybe he still does, you got to serve somebody. You're either going to serve the devil or you're going to serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And he's lately said things like he belongs to the church of the poison mind and he has to fulfill his duty to the master of this world, that a, a bargain he made many years ago. But he also knew the truth. You're going to be a servant one way or another. And you're going to bow down before Jesus one way or another. Amen? He said, every knee you will bow, every tongue will confess on earth, in heaven, and under the earth, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, where are you going to serve him? I want to serve him at his feet, man, in his kingdom forever and ever. And I can't wait to continue to see what he does in all of us. Now, it's really interesting because as a suffering servant... We read in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, Jesus says, this is 700 years before he was born of a virgin as prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9. My ears you have opened. Isn't that interesting? My ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, behold, I've come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Wow. 
How was his ear opened? I think this very well could be an allusion to the law. Do you know in the Old Testament, now when we look at the word slave, and I think translations that translated bondservant or slave are the most accurate when they translate the word doulos. The word slave uh, is a great translation because, but because the, you know, the Atlantic slave trade, people, oh, that word, you know, it's a, it's a and by the way, that word was always be, already being toned down in the early church history. Doulos was such a, a strong word, yet Christians identified with it. And they understood because their God identified as the ultimate doulos, the suffering servant. Now when we think of the Atlantic slave trade, North Atlantic slave trade, we think of forced slavery where people were kidnapped from Africa and other places and forced to be slaves. The Bible forbade that kind of slavery. In fact, we're told in 1 Timothy 1.10 that kidnapping was, is against God's law. We read in the book of Exodus that you're not to go bring somebody into your home Right, kidnap them and make them your slave. In biblical times, there were various reasons people would be enslaved, but one of the reasons would be an indentured servant. That would mean that, guess what? I owe you a million dollars, so to speak, and I squander it, and I waste it, and I refuse to pay it back. Well, guess what? The law said that I would have to now serve you until that was paid off. And I'd have to serve you. I'd become an indentured servant. But God had mercy because after six years of service, then you were what? You were set free. Seventh year, number of completion, you're set free. Even though you may owe 25 more years. It was mercy. But you know what? The servant could say, you know what? I really like my master, you know? I've got a wife and I've got a children here now. He let me have a wife and children or whatever. Or maybe he's single, but I really love my master. And he could tell his master that I want to continue to serve you and be in your house forever, or long as I live. Then he would take that servant, and he would take him to the door jam, and he'd stick his ear against the wood and drive an awl through his ear. And he'd have an earring, and that earring was saying, that earring said, hey, hey I belong to my master, and I'm, I've, I want to be his servant for life. Well, Jesus, and this, by the way, is quoted in the book of Hebrews of Jesus quoting this psalm, or this, this Isaiah chapter 40. And Jesus, by saying, you know, open my ears, you know, uh, could very well mean he's saying, hey, I've come to serve. And by the way, was Jesus ever nailed to a piece of wood? Yeah. At the cross, amen. He came to die a servant's death in our place because we're the rebellious servants and the bible says if anyone does not continue in all the things of the law right they're under a curse amen and curses everyone who hangs upon a tree he came to bear the curse that we deserved amen, amen. and it's just mind-boggling when you think about it but this is what's crazy right from the very get-go from him being born his servant heart it's written all over the pages of scripture Go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, as we look at the Christmas story. And I try never to do the same Christmas message over and over and over again. So I try to change it up after all these years because I really want fresh bread for you. And I prayed throughout this week and even before, Lord, give me fresh bread for, for them. Stimulate them to love and good works, Lord. Help them to see how beautiful you are. 
And in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now in those days a decree went out from uh, Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. I wish I had time to get into all of the background here, but I won't be able to get into a lot of the other scriptures I want to share with you. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register uh, for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth. They were living in Nazareth, right? They have a long way. If you ever go on one of our Israel trips, you'll be in Nazareth. But Bethlehem is like the other side of Israel in the south. It's quite a distance, even a nice drive. And they were in the city of Nazareth to Judea. That's the southern part of Israel. To the city of David, which is called what? Bethlehem. Now Jesus was prophesied to be a descendant of, of Judah, but also a descendant of who? David, amen? So they're going to pay their taxes, so the tax man wants them to go to the original places they came from, so they had to go to Bethlehem. Because he was of the house, it says, the last part of verse 4, because he was of the house of who? And family of David. And by the way, that's not the only reason. He was also prophesied in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, chapter 5. If you're Italian, you can say Malachi, <laughs> chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, this is what it says. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, you're just a little, little tiny town, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. How can he be from everlasting? Right there, because he's who? He's God, amen? So that's amazing. Now look at, pick it up again in Luke chapter 2 now. Pick it up at verse 5. We left off in verse 4. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a what? In a manger, because there was no room for them in the what? In the inn. There's no room in the inn. And now, there's so much to be said here, but I want to say just enough to be able to get to the other text and get to my main point as to, there's so many ways we can go here. But he came, I told you, he came to become a what? A servant, amen? A doulos. And he's the one orchestrating all of history. He's sovereign, amen? amen. That's the crazy thing, guys. He's born in Bethlehem. Beth means house. Bethlehem, literally Bethlehem means what? House of bread. What's Jesus? He's called the bread of what? Of life. It's not an accident that he's born in Bethlehem. Or that Bethlehem and God's sovereignty that God had Bethlehem called Bethlehem. In fact, guess what? There's a lot going on. There's no room for him in the end, which is a great picture of guess what? He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Even though he made the world, the world did not know him. John chapter 1, amen. It's a great picture of how the world would not have enough room for Jesus, metaphorically speaking. But he comes to the house of bread because he is the bread of life. But you know what? 
And they don't have a room for him, so they stick him where? In the stable with the stinky animals. In a manger. You know what a, the word manger? You know what a manger is? It's a what? It's a food trough where you eat. That stinks. No, it stinks, but guess what? It's beautiful because he's there in the house of bread and he's the bread of life. So it's fitting that he would be born in a food trough because we need the bread of life. And he wasn't born in, a, in Caesar's imperial palace just for the rich and famous and powerful. No. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem for the poor, for the needy, for each and every one of us. Amen? And it's, it's, he humbled himself. But he came to feed us. He is the bread of life. The, the, the word manger comes from the root word mangia, M-A-N-G-I-A, which means to eat. And it's just interesting because this is, to me, this is super cool stuff. You know? When you, you, you scratch your head and say, this is, this is our God, you guys. This is how, he, how powerful he is. He draws these incredible pictures to show you not only our need, but to show you how much he loves us. Amen? Amen. So it's really, really powerful when you think about it. Now, uh, and it's because he's for everybody. In fact, Isaiah chapter 57 tells us that God dwells, quote, with a contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. In fact, who does he go? I mean, let's go ahead and pick it up. Let's pick it up at verse 8. In the same region, there were some what? Shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, shepherds kind of had a mixed review, depending on who you were asking. They were held in very low esteem by many people in the world. In fact, Aristotle, uh, Aristotle wrote of shepherds that they're, quote, the laziest of, of, of different pe workers. The laziest are shepherds. I don't think he was ever a shepherd and knew how much work it was. Uh, who, who lead an idle life and get their subsistence without trouble from tame animals. Their flocks wandering, as though they, they, it's got to be an easy job because their animals are tame. Well, uh, did David not save his <laughs> sheep from bear, lion, right? A little bit more than just tame animals. You've got to save them from animals that are ferocious, that know they're tame, and they can't defend themselves. That's why they need shepherds, one reason. Their flocks are wandering from place to place, right to Aristotle, in search of pasture, and they are compelled to follow them, cultivating a sort of living farm. And that's true. It's kind of like a living farm. Uh, many religious elite would look down on shepherds. Well, the Pharisees looked down on everybody, right? The Sadducees did as well, that they were holier than them. And they would often consider, you know, them the low lives of society. I love that the Lord is born in a manger, and guess who gets invited first to the, the, to the uh, birth? The shepherds, man. What's God saying in this, guys? Everyone's invited. Everyone is invited. In fact, look at verse 9. I think that's one of my most, you know, one of my favorite two verses in the narrative. Uh, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Can you imagine? 
you know, this the angel of the Lord just shining and just so dazzling. And sometimes one, the, light, the angel at Jesus' resurrection, it says he looked like lightning. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for who? All the people. It's good news for all the people. It's a beautiful, beautiful reality that Jesus came for everybody, not just a few people. Amen? In fact, I love it when you, you the, the Christmas story. Here's a, a, a short clip of the shepherds. Uh, an angel appearing to the shepherds. Tell me if this is biblically accurate, though, because I was looking at them like, I think they got something off, but we'll, you be the judge. Can we turn these lights off? Thanks. You can back it up if we can't get sound. Let's start it from the beginning, bro, because it's already talking. He's already talking. So we're still trying to get this stuff dialed in here. We don't want Hitler and the Grand Mufti either, but. <laughs> hey, there's always some twists, right? You know? We got different guys learning the system back there, so we're going to dial in. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy just for you, David. This has nothing to do with your two friends back there. Wait, for real? How does that make sense? For unto you and the other elect is born this day, again, just for you and the other elect, He's just rubbing it not in. for Bill and Greg back there. He called us by name. That's called. Was, was that right? <laughs> no, that's not how it is. Amen. Good tidings for who? All people. Amen. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen. That Jesus died for everyone and he's for everyone. Uh, Tony Palacio sent me that. I, just, I drive down the road. I just chuckle when I think of that sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's so silly, you know. And uh, would that everybody knew he was for all people. Amen. He was born, you know, in the gutter most. For the uttermost, amen? amen? For all of us. And that's the good news of Christmas, amen? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him shall not perish but have everlasting life, amen? We have, the, that's, not, that's kind of a, uh, just kind of a, that's actually a pretty good scene, but it got kind of, somebody edited it, you know, it's making its way through the internet right now, you know? So it gets twisted into just a few people, but praise God, you don't have to wonder if he loves you, Amen? Or at this time of year, if, if God cares about you, he cares about you. And I love that he wasn't born in a palace. I love that there was no place in the inn. Because that's our God. That's how big his love is. Amen? Amen. He humbled himself from the very get-go. But even from the very get-go, he was revealing that he's the bread of life. We all have this hunger problem. We're all starving. 
we have a video that I played three months ago or so called, you know, uh, the, the, the super celebrity video the devil doesn't want you to see. Remember we showed all these super celebrities in their own words saying they're empty? How come we can't? We have all these riches, all this fame, everything we want. How come we're empty inside over and over and over again from top rock stars and actors and sports figures and everything? They're empty, empty, and empty because guess what? We have a hole in the soul. Amen? And you can't fill that hole. The world says you can fill it with things, right? With money, with fame, with popularity, right? You fill with all these different things, gadgets, materialism, but it all leaves you empty, man. Without Jesus, we're empty because that hole in the soul, we have a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill, amen? And guess what? We have the bread of life, which is food for our soul. And if we don't embrace the bread of life and partake of it, we'll be empty forever. But he was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, in a manger, a feeding trough, as the bread that's come down from heaven, so we could be filled, so we could have life. Amen? Take your Bibles, please, and go to the Gospel of John. Well, you know what? Yeah, go to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And when you get there, go to verse 29. John chapter 6, verse 29. Look at what Jesus says to the religious leaders of his day. Therefore they said to him, that is to Jesus, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you what? Believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, what then do you uh, do for a sign so we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, they said, ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. It was called angel bread, by the way. Tastes a little bit like honey. You go out and you pick it up off the ground, off the plants. It would just fall from the heavens. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave, uh, had given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Who do you think the true bread is? Jesus. Verse 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am what? I am the bread of life. Ego Amy, but not just the I am. He's also, these are all. And I love that throughout John. He's the I am. Before Abraham was, I am. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything came to being by Him. Everything that was made was made by Him. And nothing came to being but by Him created it, right? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But He says, before Abraham was, I am. But you see who He is. He's I am, right? The transcendent one that's altogether ontologically above everybody else. But He also says, I am this. He becomes all the things we need. I am the bread of life. I'm the water life. I'm the, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection life. He's all these things. I am the door. Amen. All these wonderful things. But he is also, I am the bread of life, he says in verse 35. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Understand now, what does it mean to eat the bread of life? He who what? Comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Partaking of the bread of life is putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
is coming to him and putting your trust in him and partaking of who he is in your being. Amen? Receiving Christ into your heart. As many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. John 1, 12. Look at verse 47. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. He who what? Believes. Are you putting your trust in Jesus today? Is he your Lord and your Savior? Is he first in your life? Verse 48. I am the what? The bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that you may eat and what? Not die. Your fathers, they're making a big deal. Hey, he gave us the manna. You know, Moses, no, Father gave you the manna, and you ate it, and your, your fathers ate it, and they still died. But guess what? In contrast, he says, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so one may, one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my what? My flesh. How does he give his flesh for the life of the world? It's when he goes to the cross and dies in our place and bears our sins the sins that keep us separated from God, separated from his love, separated from his light, separated from his Holy Spirit, separated from his presence forever without Jesus' death on the cross, coming and dying and giving himself for us on the cross. Verse 52, Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the what? The last day for the flesh, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he what? He also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will what? Live forever. Now at this point, many of those who were listening to him, many who called themselves disciples that said, follow him no longer because he gave them a hard saying. And they misunderstood what he was saying. See, sometimes Jesus' words would be pressed into being too literal. That happens throughout the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, you see Jesus is compared to a ladder that goes to heaven, right? Ascending and descending, when he calls Nathaniel. Was Jesus, is Jesus a literal ladder? No. Then when you go to John chapter 2, you know, Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. Was he speaking of a literal temple? No, he's talk, it says, the Holy Spirit says in verses 19 through 21, it's, the Holy Spirit says, he spoke of the temple of his body. Because they were saying, hey, it took all these years, like 38 years to build this temple, you're going to just destroy it and and raise it up again. And the Holy Spirit says he spoke of the temple of his body. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Nicodemus misunderstands. You mean I got to come out of my mother's womb again? No. He says, the words I speak to you, Jesus says, are heavenly words, you know. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well, the Samaritan, she wants that water that he'll give her. And so she doesn't have to come to the well anymore. But he just doesn't understand that that water is what? Eternal life. Amen. So you go throughout the Gospel of John, and when you get to chapter 6, they misunderstand. How are we going to drink his blood? Which, by the way, was forbidden in the law. 
And Jesus never broke the law, amen? amen? You were forbidden to drink blood. He didn't mean literally drink his blood. In fact, uh, if you look at chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus says, It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. His words are spiritual, amen? And they pertain, and he spelled it out for them over and over again, that they didn't understand specifically what he was going to do. He gave a little insight to Nicodemus as Moses lifted up the serpent in chapter 3, a few chapters earlier. As the Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, remember the brass serpent that was put up on the pole? And whoever looked at it would be saved. So shall the Son of Man be lifted up. He spoke of his crucifixion that God gave him for the world, that whoever believed in would not perish. But, he was, but it wasn't becoming clearer, and it would become clearer as it went on. But he was talking about giving his flesh. And then as the narrative unfolds in the Gospel of John, he gives his flesh on the cross. And the context is not actually literally going and finding Jesus' blood, you know, and trying to drink it. It's putting your faith in what he's done for you and pouring out his blood for you on the cross as the bread from heaven. Amen. Amen. So you could have eternal life. So you could have life that, that comes through faith in the Son of God. Amen. What an awesome God we have. And I love verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You guys, he's the bread of life. Bethlehem, house of bread, the manger, a feeding trough, the bread that's come down from heaven. And then he explicates what this means. He came, as Paul said, not only to become a doulos, but to die a death, even the death on the cross. So we could be saved, amen? And the cool thing this Christmas is all the things that you get on a Christmas day will not ultimately satisfy you. The only one you can get that will satisfy you is the bread of life. Amen? Amen. And the coolest thing is we should all be focused solely, or say most importantly, on feeding on Jesus every day. Amen? Amen? How do I feed on him every day? His word is called bread. Amen? It's even compared to bread. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen. We partake of him through prayer. We exercise faith and we seek him. And we seek his presence. But I'm continually blown away. And I pray to be, and I believe I'll be blown away throughout all eternity. And I'll be more blown away, not less. More blown away as the days of eternity uh, come when I, we realize what Jesus did. It's, it's just a mind-boggling story. You know the whole date of our, we're in 2023, just about ready to turn the calendar to 2024, amen? 2024 in reference to what? Christ's death or Christ's birth, amen? amen. Divided uh, in the Western world, so much of the world between, you know, B.C. and A.D. I like how they try to call it common era now, but still you got to, you're stuck with the date, man. You're stuck with the date. <laughs> Amen. It's a great thing to witness, to the impact that Jesus has had on the world. And it's funny because Mark Twain wrote a book some time ago called The Prince and the Pauper, a popular book. And in that book, he has a wealthy prince, uh, son of uh, King Edward uh, or King Henry VIII, his son uh, named Edward Tudor. And Edward Tudor is the son of this this of King Henry, right? But then there's this peasant, you know, named Tom Canty. And Tom Canty is, just has nothing, you know? He's a, he's a poor peasant. But in 
Mark Twain's story, he has this remarkable story where the prince and, and, and Canty recognize, and he's destined for the throne, Edward Tudor. He's destined for the throne, and Canty's destined for nothing. And they, they see each other, and the prince gets this great idea. He says, let's swap places, and let's mess with people. So he takes on the peasant's clothes and dons his clothes, and, and the peasant dresses up like the prince. The problem is, what goes too far, and Edward, who's dressed like a pauper, tries to let the soldiers know the gig's up. It's a joke. You know, let me back in. He wants to go back to the palace. And they laugh at him because he's all mangy looking and everything, that he's a madman. And they kick him out where Tom Canty gets to live as a prince destined for the throne. And it's interesting because uh, Mark Twain begins The Prince and the Pauper, which is the name of the story, with these words. It may have happened, it may not have happened, but it could have happened. Isn't that interesting? Might have happened, it might not have happened, but it could have happened. Guess what? His story did not happen. But guess what? He's right. It could have happened, and it did happen, and it happened to you and me, amen? We were all the paupers, amen? We were all the peasants. We were the, the dulasses that should have been destroyed. We were in wicked rebellion. We're, it was even, it's even a, a more amazing story because it's not just an earthly prince. It's the God that created and flung the stars into existence in the galaxies. Amen? He's the one that took our place. Amen? He took our place and became man and suffered our place. So what? So we could become heirs to his kingdom and live in his palace forever. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich... Yet for your sake, he became poor. Think about that, guys. He was rich, although he exists in the very form of God, in the very nature of God. Didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. But he became a man. He humbled himself and became a servant, a doulos even. And he died for us. And not just died, but a criminal's death, even the death on the cross, which is the worst way you could possibly die in those days. For you know by the grace of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Wow. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Now, the Prince the Pauper is a pretty powerful story. People were arrested by it. A lot of them, I think, must have thought, this sounds vaguely familiar, like our story. But the crazy thing, the prince of the pauper would have been even more amazing if the prince was the creator. And the paupers were criminals. And the pauper was a criminal awaiting the death penalty. And then the roles get switched. So the true story is even more radical than the one that, it's because Twain basically stole this, the real story and toned it down a little bit. And the crazy thing is, we get to be in his palace. Jesus said in John 14, you know, do not let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places, many homes. If we're not so, I would have told you. But I go to uh, prepare a place for you, that where I am you may be also. Amen. He said, believe in God, believe also in me, who the Father sent. Amen. So our trust is in him. And this is the crazy thing, is he wants you to partake 
of him. He wants you to be filled. He wants your soul to be filled up inside even before you get to the heavenly kingdom. Even before you get there, he wants you to feed on him. He wants you to find your satisfaction in him. Before I was a Christian, I partied, you know. I, I'd smoke pot just about every day, get drunk every weekend with my pot, did other drugs too, speed and LSD, things like that. And I was never satisfied. Man, I looked for, I had some good times. Probably my, my best times was, you know, guys getting 10, 12, 15 guys down, go play tackle football at the park. I'd play that to this day. If, if the guy said, hey, there's a, we're having a turkey bowl, let's play tackle football. I'm 60 years old, I'd still love to play, just invite me, okay? I still can run you over. I might not run as fast, but I can still run you over, okay? <laughs> but I, I had some good times, but you know what? I had a lot, my times were lost, though, because you'd have a good time, but it was always fleeting. There was never that ongoing sense of peace, joy, contentment. It was just, I was always looking for the answer. But you know, when I found Jesus, the search ended, man. Now, every day I wake up filled in him. And guess what? If there's a day where I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling as filled as normal, then I feed on him. I, feed, I wake up seeking him every day. But you know what? Sometimes you need to seek him more. Sometimes, you know, oh, you're going through a trial or whatever. But you put your trust in him. You put your trust in him. That's how you partake of the bread of life. And you read his word. Amen. Jeremiah, you know, your, your word is more important to me than my daily bread, you know? And it's interesting because Jesus wants you to sup with him. He wants you to dine with him. Remember Revelation 3.20? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is to a backslidden church he writes to, Jesus. The church at Laodicea, who is trying to be filled up with things of the world. You know, he says you, you're, you're, you, you say you have wealth, you're increased with all these wonderful things. He goes, but you're miserable, blind, and naked. You don't even know how empty you are, he says to them. But he says to that church, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door to me, right, I will sup with him and he with me. Sup, he used the word for sharing food, sharing his food with us, Amen. He knocks on your heart this morning saying, don't be running around trying to get satisfied with the things of the world. You'll be left empty. There's no eternal hope in those things. Amen. Praise God that God blesses us with good things. Amen. It says in 1 Timothy 6, he's given us all things to enjoy. Amen. So be thankful for the things he's blessed you with. Amen. But never put those things before Jesus. That's what the Bible calls idolatry. Amen. And if you put those things before Jesus and he's not first in your life, you'll never be satisfied. And you'll grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But there's another passage in Revelation that really hits me hard. And that's Revelation 2. Can you go there? Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. It's another promise. It's to the church of Pergamum. And the church of Pergamum, there in Pergamum, there was a lot of idolatry. And Christians were ostracized. Uh, Christians were uh, struggling. And as they struggled to meet their needs and so forth, there was a rampant idolatry and they were seduced into giving into idolatrous practices if they wanted to be accepted in the trade guilds of the day uh, that had a lot of idolatry in a lot of these cities. So there was a lot of temptation to compromise to be in the in group, you know. 
kind of like becoming a mason, you know, in certain areas of the nation, in different parts of the world where you can get special favors and so forth. But it's interesting. Uh, they were persecuted. But Jesus wanted to let them know he has something special for them. And look at Revelation 2.17. Jesus says, He who has an ear, so it also applies to us, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will what? Give him some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Amen? Now, I didn't talk about the hidden manna, but I brought up this verse recently, and I brought up the white stone. You want a white stone, by the way, on Judgment Day. Because in those days, if you were given a black stone, that meant you were guilty. You could be executed. But a white stone meant you were acquitted, declared not guilty. In fact, that's where the term blackballed came from. If you got a black ball, you were blackballed from a group. The white stone is saying, hey, it's, in a, it's a picture of innocence. Just like the wool of a precious lamb of God, white as wool. And they would be given a white stone, acquitted. And a new name, which I dealt with actually a new name last Wednesday, written on the stone. But what I'm here today for is verse 17, is they're given what? They're offered what? What are we offered? He who has an ear, let him hear. Hidden manna. Hidden manna. What's manna? It was the bread that came down from heaven. Yet did you know Jesus has hidden manna for you? Hidden manna. Well, wait a minute. Let's think this through. Just kind of think it through. Who was the manna a picture of? Picture of who? Jesus. It's a typology. In the Old Testament, the manna that God fed them from heaven was a picture of his son that would ultimately be given for them. Amen? Yet he's already given himself to us, but he offers us what? Hidden manna. I believe he offers us more of himself. And you know, for the believer, there's more to that prince and pauper story for you. Because you will move into the full, as an overcomer, you will move into the full inheritance of Christ. In fact, in Revelation 21.7, in Revelation 21, it describes all these incredible the new heaven, the new earth, you know? No more tears, no more hunger, no more pain. And it says, he that overcomes will inherit all these things. And I believe that we will inherit, and the greatest part of our inheritance will not be things as much as what? More of Jesus. Man, when I drive down the road, I sing, give me more of Jesus. That's my, the song of my heart. More of Jesus in my life. And listen to what the scriptures say about your inheritance. Listen, just, just bask in this for a few minutes. Just this Christmas Eve, accept the word of God as your eternal inheritance and rejoice in it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, In Christ Jesus you were once far away, but you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were once excluded from heavenly riches. And by the way, your life is going to go quick. But this is the good news. You see, Jesus is the natural son, and we are, and he's, he's the only begotten son. He's the natural son, amen? We're adopted children into the family, amen? And we partake of him as our elder brother and his inheritance. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 says, But in, the last, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. John 1, 12, As many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Romans chapter 8, So becoming a child, not just a servant. A child, and not just a servant, a friend. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends, Jesus says. Amen? 
in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And one of my favorite verses in 1 John chapter 3, Oh, what manner of love is this? That's the King James. I love the way the King James puts it. Oh, what manner of love is this? That we, former scumbags before we knew Jesus, that we should be called the children of God. Amen? Amen. Galatians 3.29 And if you are Christ, meaning you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs, heirs, according to the promise. Galatians 4.7 So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then a what? An heir through God. Amen. John 17.22 Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus prays the glory, Father, that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Romans 8.17 Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You guys get it? He became a slave so we could become his children. Amen? Amen. And so we become joint heirs with Christ. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter goes on to write, to obtain, to obtain, to obtain what? An inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. It will not fade away, reserved in the heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Can you get any better deal, guys? Would you rather just win the biggest lottery ever than have this? You'd be foolish if you... You would? Who said yes? Let me, ref, let me say it. I think I said it right. Would you rather win the biggest lottery in the world rather than have this? Big what? No. <laughs> Who's the wise guy? No. Because that, that lottery will be gone in just no time. Your life's like a vapor. You're here and then gone. This is eternal. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's the trip. If you live for the things of the world, you lose your soul, and eventually you lose the things of the world, right? If you live for Jesus, amen, you get him, and you get the internal inheritance, and you get all things in the end. Think about the deal. Amen? Amen? That's the best deal going. In fact, you could not imagine a better deal than to be a child of the creator who is the creator of all things, who loves you and gave himself for you. So amazing. I love it. Jesus, when he separates the sheep, the sheep on his right from the goats to go to eternal fire, he says, then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 and 3.24 Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Wow. Now, it's very interesting. 
I want to tell you a very practical way to just simply apply this to your life. Because we don't wait until we just receive the hidden manna. That's when we overcome. Amen? How do you overcome? Revelation 12, 11 says, They overcame him, that is the devil, by the blood of the Lamb, right? By the word of their testimony. And they did not live their lives even unto what? Death. You mean you continue to, tr- to feed on Jesus. Continue to trust him no matter what the world offers. You put Christ first. But that's when we get the hidden manna. But right now we already partake of the manna from heaven. Jesus, that is. In fact, Jesus instructed us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. It's very interesting. You know the word daily right there? We don't really even know what that Greek word means. And it probably doesn't mean daily. It could. Most translations translate it daily. But it's kind of redundant. Give us this day our daily. Day is mentioned twice. So if you take daily out, it would still make sense. Give us this day our bread. That would be like daily bread, right? But the Greek word translated daily there is epousios. And uh, epousios is a very, very interesting Greek word because they never see that word anywhere else before this time. And it's not just right here in Matthew 6, which I'm quoting the Lord's Prayer there, but it's also in Luke 11. It shows up both times. Okay? Uh, epousios. And epousios is epa, epa, which is an intensifier or means over and above. Epa, like epidural or, you know, the word epa. We've talked about that, that word before. Like there's, ep, there's gnosis, which is knowledge, but there's epinosis, intense knowledge or greater knowledge. Well, this word, they don't know exactly how to translate it, so they just translate it daily. But epa means over and above typically, so some translate it the word, as the word super, okay? And the next part of the word speaks of literally of substance or transcendence or, 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 or I'm sorry, not transcendence, substance or essence. So some have translated super substantiality, you know, super essence, super bread, or maybe heavenly bread, as it's understood. So when I get there and I pray, give us this day our daily bread, even before I knew that, I thought, ooh, isn't that interesting? Because I always felt when it says, give us this day our daily bread, that it was a double entendre. That he's, now some think he's only talking about supernatural bread. But then I think then the prayer would have little or no value when it comes to just our daily needs being met. And I don't believe Jesus is leaving that out. Amen? Because it's a very practical, beautiful prayer. So when I pray, give us this day our daily bread, I'm praying for, for God, please meet our needs according to riches and glory. But you know what I also think about? Give me more of Jesus, man. Give me more of the super bread, the over and the above bread. Amen? The, super, the, the heavenly bread. Give me more of Jesus. And then when I pray that prayer, that's what I, I say often, Lord, give me more of Jesus. Give me more of the bread from heaven. You know, because the bread, from, the bread that we get is a picture of what anyway? It's a picture of Jesus, amen? So I, I, I love that prayer so much, and I want to encourage you to continue to pray that he not only meets your needs according to his riches and glory, second, or Philippians 4.19, but that you get more and more of Jesus in your life. Transcendent substance, supernatural bread. Do we know that that's what it's speaking of for sure? I don't. I don't know because that word is hard to translate. But I do know this. The bread is a picture of Jesus. Amen. And we want more, uh, not just our needs physically met, but we want spiritually even more so met. Amen. 
So I'm always saying, give me more of Jesus. But there's something really heavy going on here, guys. And I want to encourage you to keep your walk with Jesus fresh. Keep your walk with Jesus fresh. Every day for about 40 years, with the exception one day a week, what did God do with the Israelites for 40 years? He fed them manna from heaven. Amen? Amen. And what happened? He told them to partake of that manna. And he told them every day to gather some manna. And there was more than enough manna. Every day there was more than enough manna. And that's a picture of Jesus. There's more than enough Jesus for each, us, uh, each and every one of us every day. Amen? In fact, you were, six days a week you're supposed to do that. On Friday, you're supposed to do what? Take how much? Twice as much. Why? Because Saturday was a Sabbath. He didn't want you to work. And he said, don't go out on the Sabbath. There won't be any bread for you from heaven. And it says some people went out and there was none. But some hoarded extra. You know, same thing. I want to get like five days worth. But the Bible says what happened when they would, would happen when they take extra? It would spoil. They'd get maggots, we're told. It's all in the book of Exodus, man. What's God's point there? He wants us to rely on him every day, amen? He wants us to have a fresh batch of bread every day, amen? He doesn't want us to rely on our leftovers. How many of you are relying on leftovers? How many of you just look back at a past experience you had with Jesus at an altar call or a mission trip you were on or a women's retreat or a men's retreat and you just live off of that? No, he wants you to live off of Jesus daily, amen? That's a picture of how God wants you to come to him daily and not just live off of old experiences, amen? He wants you to come to him every single day, amen? amen. And if you live off of past experiences, those past experiences will get eaten away. They won't suffice. He wants you to come for your daily bread, amen? He wants you to seek him every day. So this Christmas Eve, this Christmas day, every day next year, seek Jesus, amen? amen? It's kind of funny because you know what part of the Lord's Prayer I was in? Because we're kind of going through it pretty quick. We left off on give us this day our daily bread. And that's my Christmas message, man. Jesus is the bread from heaven. And he wants you to partake of him. And if you're putting things before Jesus in your life, and he's like second, third, fourth, fifth, somewhere down the line, God will not tolerate that. That's called idolatry. He's supposed to be first in your life. You're supposed to be feeding on him every day. And if someone looked at your life, could they say, yeah, that person really loves the Lord, man. They're really following Christ. They put him first in their lives. You could tell by how they prioritize their week. How they well, you're here today, so that's a good deal, right? But he wants you to put him first every day. Amen? Psalm 78, 24 says, He, God, rained down manna from them to, for them to eat. He gave them bread from heaven. Jesus is our bread from heaven. And he wants us to seek him out daily. You know, there's some problems, though. What if you're not hungry for Jesus? You know when you're not hungry for Jesus? You know when you suffer from not being hungry? You know that's an ill, a sickness if you just, they're never hungry. That usually means, in fact, if you go to the doctor, you know what he'll say? One of the first things he'll say to you, how's your appetite? If you say, I'm never hungry, that's an indication that you are what? You're what? Sick. When you're not hungry, it typically means you're sick. I just got pretty sick for like four days, you know. I was not hungry. I was dreaming like two or three days later of something that I could eat that would not make me sick. I was thinking of Viardas, which I'd just been there. I bought like two or three tacos for like eight bucks. Pretty cheap deal, you know. That was the day I got sick, so I don't know if it's a good deal. But, you know. <laughs> 
but uh, I think they're good, pretty, pretty good deal there. And then I, look, I saw all these, these things. That, it's right by this juice bar, and they make all these things of fruit. And I'm like, I wish I had one of those. I, was, I knew my appetite was getting back. I knew it was getting a little bit better. But, you know, I had Holly and Chad's kids over. I'll accept justice. And they all went to a wrestling tournament. And there was Eli and Ariella and Galilee. And they're all sitting there. Poor Lisa, because I was more sick. She, wasn't, she was just getting sick. We had Heather's kids before that, and they were sick. And I thought, no one's going to get out of here healthy, you know. And they all three were holding bowls because they'd, they'd fill them up, throwing up. Then she would empty them. And I'm like clustered in my room. I come out. And I'm like, oh, she's in for it, man. She's going to get it too. And they're just all holding their bowls, you know. I'm like, I need like some. I wasn't throwing up, thank God. But, but man, you guys, you lose your hunger when you're sick, you know. And guys, I'm encouraging you right now in the name of Jesus. If you're not hungry, it's because you're sick. If you don't want Jesus, it's because you're spiritually sick. You need to get right with God and recognize you're spiritually sick. The Bible says, if that's true of all of us human beings without Jesus, the Bible says the heart's deceitful and desperately sick, in some translations, wicked. Who can know it? In Isaiah 1, it says, you're sick from head to toe. He says, come to me, let us reason together. And he says, and I will cleanse your sins. You'll be white as snow. He can fix you. He can clean you. And then he can give you the bread of life. But you have to. You know, I was reading. Sometimes you're just feeding on the wrong stuff. You're feeding on the wicked things of the world and you're not hungry for Jesus because you're just getting filled up with the world and you're not really getting filled up. Remember the, remember the hamburger, the, the, the Big Mac, most popular hamburger ever? Two all-beef patties, what, lettuce, cheese. You know the, the, the saying, right? I grew up hearing that jingle. Now you can't say that jingle anymore, honestly. Why? Because I just read the redoing the McDonald's hamburger. Oh, yeah, the Big Mac. And they're going to put 50 new ingredients, 50 new things in the patty. I, you can't say all beef patty, I guess, anymore. <laughs> you know, I think there's fillers anyway. I don't know. But guess what? They're changing that. But if you just fill up on hamburgers, man, I'm thinking, why don't they just copy in and out burger? They got a good burger, man. But guess what? If you just fill up on junk, you're not going to want the real thing. You have to get rid of the junk. Hey, I, I like a good Big Mac once in a blue moon, but I'm talking about sin. You want to get rid of the sin. You need to turn from sin and surrender to Jesus and become a true doulos. Peter says, as free, yet not using our freedom as a cloak for wickedness, but serving him as doulos. God wants you to become what he created you to be, which is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus became a servant, not only to die for us, but to show us how to live our lives. Amen. You're created to serve and know God. And man, how many of you serve God and you say, that's where the joy is at, and you know it. When you serve God, when you witness, when you shine the light, that's where the love and the joy is. Amen. How many of you are in tough circumstances? You're like, this is painful what I'm going through right now. Be a servant, man. Be what God's called you to be in that situation and shine the light of Christ and the love of Christ and feed on the bread of life and you will thrive in your situation no matter how bad it is if you put Christ first. Amen. Well, it says in, a, I love this verse, Psalm 107, verse 9, he satisfies, he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. That's Psalm 107, verse 9. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I close with this verse. Guess what Jesus is going to come when he comes back, his second coming, what he's going to do with you. Those of you who are have entered in and have opened the door. 
and are feeding on the bread of life now. Look what he says. Luke 12, 37. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will prepare himself to serve and have them recline at the table and he will come up and serve them. Wow. At the great wedding supper of the Lamb, Jesus is going to serve you. How does that make sense at all? Because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I became to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Because that is our God. Because he is a good God. He's a giving God. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. That's our God. That's his nature. Amen? So rejoice that you have a good God. Aren't you glad you didn't wake up one day and find out that God is the devil? And he just created you as playthings that he could torment? No. He created you to have eternal life, to know him and to love him. And if we reject his light and love, he gives us our will and separates us from himself forever. Don't do that. You see, sometimes I share, and this is, I'll end with this. If you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll only die once. If you're born just once, meaning you live here, but you refuse to come to Jesus and you're not born again, you're not spiritually rebirthed, you're not born again, you'll die twice. You'll die physically, and then you'll die in the lake of fire, which is called the second death. You'll go to hell forever. But if, you die, but if you're born twice, once on earth here, and then spiritually you're born again on earth, but you're born reborn, you put your faith in Christ and accept what he did for you on the cross, right? And you pass from death to life. You're born again. You become alive spiritually because God comes to live in you, amen? And you're born again, amen? Then you only die once. Why? Because you only die a physical death. You don't go to the second death of the lake of fire. Make sure if you're not born again, you're born a second time today. Make sure you're born again. You're truly born again. How do you get born again? As many as received him, John 1.12, he gave the right to become what? The children of God. Receive Christ as your Lord and Savior right now. Right? Turn from darkness and the life you're living, that broad road that Jesus said leads to destruction, and turn to Jesus Christ who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Accept his death for you on the cross and his resurrection. Amen? Amen. Praise God. If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that now. Can we all please stand?